That's the takeaway on a power trip Ooh. all week. John Hockenberry's on the road talking to innovators, scientists, and investors. And he's going to be moving from an algae farm in Washington State to Silicon Valley to a company starting up there. And he'll be visiting the places and people that stand to change everything from your monthly electricity bill to what you pump into your car. To launch our series, energy expert Gary Golden joins us in the studio. Gary is the editor of the blog, The Energy Roadmap. Good morning, Gary. And some people call you a futurist. Would that be right? Correct. What is that? Well, futurists help uh, people and organizations understand long-term disruptive change. So I actually have a, a, a graduate degree in future studies from the University of Houston, and it teaches professional futurists to work with organizations. And so you're going to talk about new technologies and changes that you think are needed for America to work towards cleaner energy. Let's start with a myth. Sure. Is the goal to become, say, coal-free? That's a good question. It depends on who you ask. Hmm. So coal is, is definitely not the future of energy, but it certainly has a future. So, well, what about all the preaching that we get, though, that you know coal is dirty and we have to step away from it completely? It would be a very difficult transition to make. So coal is uh, uh, the primary, over 50% of our uh, uh, energy to produce electricity comes from coal. So to make a transition in which none of the power generation comes from coal would be a multi-decade long, decade long transition. And you say there are four things then, mm -hmm. specific things that the mm -hmm. U.S. can do. First up, redesign the energy grid. That sounds like a tall order. Correct. Explain. So the, the vision that is being promoted by uh, the government and the private sector is one of a smart grid. So today we have a grid, an electrical grid, that is a one-way stream of energy. And if you cut that stream at any point, you don't have power on the, the user side. So the smart grid integrates software to make things just more manageable, sensors to kind of close the communication feedback loop, and then storage at the local level to avoid any disruption to the like power. Like the blackout that we suffered on the East Coast several years ago. Correct. And then also for hospitals and computer farms and offices that require electricity. And how do you begin that process? And is it on the agenda? It is on the agenda. So the, uh, the, the biggest change that, that, that needs to happen is regulatory reform that governs how utilities profit from what they do. Step two, renewable energy alternatives, solar, solar, algae, and wind. Sure. So the problem with renewable energy is that there's no way to store it effectively. So utilities are very reluctant to, to put on a new source of energy unless they can have absolute reliability. And until we come up with a utility-scale size storage solution for solar and wind, it's unlikely that it's going to really grow as, as a market share. Does the science exist to store it? It does, but it continues to advance every year. So, you know, at the, the current energy storage technology is based on batteries. And the next generation of energy storage technologies will include uh, hydrogen fuel cells and capacitors. So the money needs to be invested to develop c capability. Definitely. So there's still a lot of opportunity left in, in investing in basic science. Number three, you talk about making products energy efficient, and along with that would be encouraging consumers to use those energy efficient products. Correct. So the, the, the lowest hanging fruit in this, this new energy economy is efficiency. So there's a saying in the energy industry that the cheapest power plan is the one that you don't have to build. So <laughs> how, how, can we, how can we, you know, 
You know, this goes from changing light bulbs to having smart thermostats and smart meters. And this is where companies like IBM and General Electric and Honeywell are getting involved in government efforts. So whose responsibility is that then? Is it the responsibility of the government to create those incentives for private industry, or should private industry be taking a lead in order to cut their own costs? It's a mixture. So the government is definitely needed to, again, provide the regulatory framework that enables these type of efficiency solutions. But the private sector has opportunities to just deliver solutions over the retail shelf. And You talk about a big picture issue. Reducing poverty is a way to reduce energy consumption. Explain that to us. So if you look globally, not just within the United States, uh, you know, the poorer you are in the world, the the worse you're going to be in terms of the type of energy that you use. So you're going to use the lowest form of energy, lowest cost form of energy. So as you move up that uh, uh, economic scale, your energy consumption patterns become more efficient and more clean. When you take a look at these issues that you've outlined, the four we've just mentioned, what kind of timeline do you think is reasonable for us to expect movement on any of these, from storing energy to creating more energy-efficient products? I think it's important to focus on the transition, that this is going to take several decades. um, But over the next 10 years, I think that we're going to see significant progress in smart grid technology. Um, and then and then also the early stages of algae and cleaner forms of coal. Gary Golden, we appreciate your thoughts. Thank you. Gary Golden is editor of the blog, The Energy Roadmap, and he'll be blogging today on our website, thetakeaway.org, answering any questions you have about the new energy infrastructure, proposals, ideas, debates. And this, of course, is the first installment of the energy series that we're doing here at The Takeaway called Power Trip. John Hockenberry is on the road, and he'll be joining us from the West Coast tomorrow. Since WNYC's first broadcast in 1924... We've been dedicated to creating the kind of content we know the world needs. Since then, New York Public Radio's rigorous journalism has gone on to win a Peabody Award and a DuPont Columbia Award, among others. In addition to this award-winning reporting, your sponsorship also supports inspiring storytelling and extraordinary music that is free and accessible to all. To get in touch and find out more, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.